Praise God. I just want to keep on singing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for uh, revealing yourself to us in, in ways. We're going to talk today about how uh, nobody is without excuse because you have displayed in your creation all around us uh, your power, your glory, your wonder, the intelligence, the intricacy with which you put this world together testifies to who you are. And so we thank you, Lord, and I ask that you uh, that you speak through me today uh, and. Uh, Help us to see your glory more clearly. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I remember when I first started hearing things. I was, I, mean, I believed in the Lord. I was raised in a Christian home, which doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to believe, but it helps. Amen. And I did always believe, but. You, you get a lot of pushback. You get a lot of... The whole, whole society seems to be telling you how stupid you are to believe that. And so when I happened upon a television program with a scientist who was a, who was a Christian who believed that the creation narrative was true and he had proof and he was showing how these things proved that... What the Bible said was true. Oh, I just got all excited. I thought that was so cool. Amen. And it started, I wouldn't say that I've become uh, truly into it. I mean, there are people who, who live and breathe uh, what we call uh, apologetics, which is kind of a funny word because it, you know, we think of the word apology and we think of, of being sorry about something. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's this word means something else. It, it has to do with uh, explaining and, and providing proofs uh, for the truth of God's Word. And so this, this stuff is exciting to me because of the fact that we are under constant, especially uh, in the realm of, of the intellectual, we're under constant assault even in our schools. Christianity is now actively opposed Evolution is taught as if there's as if it's fact, and it's not even seriously considered that there could be any other. And our history is distorted so that the church looks like the villain. Villain, and yes, sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes people act in the name of Christianity in ways that weren't Christian at all. Uh, we we should not ignore that or pretend like it didn't happen. But the church has been the greatest force for good in civilization, and, and that gets ignored or minimized. Popular science assumes, again, that uh, everything, it, there's a natural explanation for everything, and uh, everything evolved, and, and religion is, is nothing but a crutch for, for the primitive. Medicine fails to consider the spiritual, and I think this is most harmful in the realm of, of mental health because you cannot deal with 
the problem's not, don't misunderstand me, sometimes there are real problems, real physical issues that need to be dealt with, mm-hmm. but so, I think sometimes it's a chicken or egg kind of thing where uh, you have the imbalance because of what's going on in the spirit uh, rather than the other way around. And, you know, I'm not a professional. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to try to uh, tell somebody, you know, that they should or should unless the Lord gives me specific, you know, something very specific. You have to speak to me very plainly about that. But you cannot ignore the spiritual and particularly in, in that field. And I think that the successes that you see are largely because people blunder into the principles that God set up in the first place. Our entertainment industry is probably the worst for making Christians look like fools. And it's so refreshing that we're seeing a change in that where Hollywood has figured out uh, that it actually can make money off things that don't do that. That there's a significant number of people who actually appreciate it when you uh, don't treat them like idiots. What do you know? <laughs> but much of it is uh, from, a, from a godless foundation. Religion is mocked. I'm a big science fiction fan. I've watched every episode of Star Trek, both generations, and all of Deep Space Nine and most of Voyager. I'm working on that. But the thing about most science fiction, there are some exceptions, but the thing about most science fiction is it starts from a godless premise. And as much as I enjoy the creativity and and, and the the, the wild ideas that come out of science fiction, there's a part of me that recognizes this is all foolishness because it starts from the premise that there is no God or that God is an alien or something weird like that. So can we, is is faith then incompatible with reason? Can we not have our brains and have faith at the same time? I will say this much. Faith wins. We have to believe in Jesus. That is required. And complete understanding of what it is that we believe is not required. When I knelt on the living room floor, I don't remember the exact date, but I remember what age I was. I don't remember what I said, but I remember where I was. We were The carpet was white. And the, the panel had dark paneling on the walls, and it was in the middle of the room floor with, with my, my dad. And, and I remember getting up from there and going to tell Mom that I was a Christian. Amen. I was just as much a Christian then as I am now. Amen. And sometimes we won't understand. Sometimes there are things that happen in life that we don't have any choice. We have to trust that God is who He said He is. Uh, that He told the truth when He said that all things will be worked together for our good. And we just have to put our trust in Him. Amen. That's right. But faith and reason are not incompatible. And I'm here to tell you that your reason can actually support and strengthen your faith. Ultimately, one has to choose. The evidence is here, but really, it's a condition of the heart. 
So why cover this at all? Why talk about this in here? Ever, I, I assume, might be wrong, but I, I think it's pretty safe to assume that everybody here at a minimum believes in God. Amen. Probably pretty safe. Amen. One of the statistics that uh, Frank Turek, who is a uh, person who goes around and, and speaks on college campuses, uh, his, his book, which I'll mention again at the end, uh, that he's most famous for was actually, actually he's not the, he's not the primary author, Norman Geisler's the primary author, but uh, it's called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. <laughs> but the statistics that he quotes is, is that three out of four youth leave the church while they're in college. And many times that is because they get challenged intellectually and they don't have anything they have no defense they've never been taught they've never been shown anything uh, to refute that and I know that we all have friends relatives children grandchildren that we might be able to share uh, these things with and also I hope that we if you haven't heard some of these things before you'll be encouraged and, and reassure that yes, there is a God, He is who He says He is, and not only that, you can prove it. And we'll be ready then to give our own answer when we're asked about the hope that is in us. Paul tells us that, well, I'll just go, let's just go ahead and read it. Uh, verse chapter. Come on, Larry. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. I'm going to read it out of the Holman Bible. And it says this, From the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what He has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Creation shows us that there is a God. And I'm going to really give you a high-flying overview. There's no way we could cover everything that uh, has been said or everything that you could, could know about the subject in the time that we have. But I'm just going to kind of give you a 30,000-foot overview to give you a direction to go and to give you something uh, when you're challenged or when your children ask you questions or your grandchildren ask you questions. Creation shows it, and Paul says that because creation shows it, nobody has an excuse. The Psalms tell us the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So what are the proofs? This will be a high level, like I said, and the, the illustrations that I'm going to use are, are admittedly not mine. Some of them I don't even remember where I got them, they're just in my head. Okay. But it tells us, uh, Genesis tells us in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. And right away, you have a controversy. You have a group of people who believe that the earth is old, 
that the, the tests and the things that, that scientists do that give us the age of things are correct. And then we have people who believe that we have a literal, oh, roughly 7,000 year span of creation. Maybe, maybe as much as 10,000. And unfortunately, there's a lot of bad blood between the two. The old earthers think the young earthers are stupid. And the, the, old, the, old, uh, the young earthers think that the old earthers are heretics. And uh, are unfortunately very, uh, very vehement on, on the subject. But both groups take as truth God's Word. They just differ in how they go about understanding what it says. So we'll, I'm going to move beyond that and just talk a little bit about the, the, the evidences for creation. Everybody's heard about the Big Bang, right? And that theory, that theory, uh, although there are some some reasonable proofs of it, has kind of fallen out of favor in some some circles. And the reason is this: they've come to the realization that if you have a beginning, you've got to have a beginner. The universe is continually expanding. That, that there's an implication there that it had a starting point. And every cause must have some, every effect must have something that caused it. You can't get nothing out of nothing. So this initial thing that started all of this, where did it come from? There must be a creator who is larger, bigger than his creation. There has to be something that exists that has no, that requires nothing to make it exist. There has to be some, a being or, or something that exists of its own accord without anything else supporting it. And people try to get around that, but any argument that you give only pushes creation back. And they've come up with all kinds of things. With the probabilities, it's so improbable that this could even be. They try to think, well, maybe there were multiple uh, universes. And, and so it just kept happening until you get one that's right. Many as you need. We still got to go back to a beginning. Or some people think that uh, you know this was you know, you know maybe this is maybe this is the the umpteenth uh, millionth try and it's you know it's been going on. Anything to get around having a creator, but you've got that problem. You still got the problem. There has to be an uncaused cause. We talk about the origin of life. You've probably heard these things before. It is so improbable. What you need is so improbable as to be impossible. You probably heard the illustration. If you if you put a bunch of monkeys in a room with typewriters, you might, if you if you leave them there long enough, eventually come up with the Encyclopedia Britannica. 
Uh, maybe, possibly, you know, it's just within, you know, could happen, I suppose. Yeah. Or, or maybe if a tornado went through a print shop, yeah, there's some priority, you know, maybe somehow all the lenders would line up into a dictionary. <laughs> That's how ridiculous the idea of getting even one cell is. Some people have gone so far as to posit that, well, maybe aliens planted life on Earth. All right, well, fine. Where'd aliens come from? You just pushed it back again. There is also the argument from design. And these things have fancy names, but you don't need the fancy names to understand the arguments behind them. There's the argument from design. Everything has an order. If you're walking through the woods and you come upon a watch, does it ever enter your mind that somehow that watch just happened? It just sort of grew there? No, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, does it? Somebody designed that and it got there because somebody lost it there. But yet somehow something far more complicated than a watch just happened. There's an order in the universe. And to say, as the evolutionists do, that everything happened just by chance, to even make that argument, you need more. Because chance is a random thing that happens outside of order. That means that the unbeliever has the burden of proof, not the believer. That's right. Amen. You look at the fossil record, and one of the problems, and there have been a few, there have been a few things that they've tried to, to show as transitional forms, but one of the big problems you've had with the fossil record that scientists use to try to prove the, the, the evolution theory is that we don't have any transitional forms to speak of. There's no, there ought to be a continuous record from, from the, the small, small and the simple up to the complex, but you don't have any of these transitional forms. And in fact, many of the things that they've tried to to pass off as, as transitional forms have turned out to be fraudulent. And nobody is saying that you can't have change over time. You can have uh, what we call microevolution. You can see changes that we know that, my goodness, gosh, creation is amazing. The, adapt the adaptability of life is absolutely amazing. I mean, all you have to do, really, if you want a lesson in in uh, diversity, genetic diversity, and how it can work, look at your dog. <laughs> Everything from a Great Dane to a Chihuahua is still a dog. In some okay. very disturbing cases, sometimes you can even cross the two. <laughs> you. 
see there that uh, you have, you know, yes, there's plenty of room for adaptation, but there is no room for species changing from one to another because the transitional forms don't work. You have something called irreducible complexity, and I, I think I'm getting ahead of myself here. But the, you, the problem you have is that uh, the, from, to get from one to the other, the transitional forms don't work, they're not viable, they don't live. Getting back to the creation of the universe, did you know that the very way that it happened had to happen exactly that way? Let's assume that the Big Bang is how it happened. It had to happen exactly the way it happened in order for life to be possible, in order for there to be anything to have life on. If it expanded too slowly, everything would pull back together and you would have somebody call it the Big Crunch. If they could just go back there and grab you, just pull everything back together. If it went too fast, everything would just fly apart and there'd be nothing. It'd be nothing to have life on. It'd just all be out there. You have something called, I'm going to use one big word here, called the, the anthropic principle. What that all that means is that everything in the universe is fine-tuned so that you can have life. I believe it's Frank's Turk's book that, that explained it this way. Imagine that you're in a room and you're looking, uh, it's a control room, and you're looking at, at a wall, and wall-to-wall -wall of, of dials and gauges. If you turn one of those dials just a little bit, just a millimeter, just a tiny bit, you destroy the whole universe, nothing works. Change how much gravity there is, change how much, how fast light travels, change any one of those constants, and everything falls apart. We are so finely tuned. Tell me that an intelligent creator was required to do that. Amen. It is fine-tuned for life. And specifically, some research is showing specifically it's fine-tuned for life here on Earth. Life anywhere else is improbable. Everything seems to be designed and centered in such a way that this is the only place that human life can exist. Nature itself teaches us. The message in DNA is so complex if, again, if you're walking in that same path uh, out in the woods we talked about earlier, and you, you come upon a message carved in a tree, and it says, Larry loves Linda. <laughs> well, do you imagine that uh, uh, the, the, the erosion caused that to happen, or that uh, was just a, you know, Maybe, maybe carpenter ants crawling around the tree wrote that message? No, I think he did it. <laughs> Naturally. But that is the, that's the problem that you have with the idea that this all just happened. It's too <laughs> complex. It can't just happen. The, the probabilities are 
infinite almost. Mm -hmm. Going back to what I was talking about a minute ago with irreducible complexity, to get even the first cell is impossible. And then to get more than one cell to somehow be cooperating and operating as a simple, uh, single organism, you can't, you can't get there. The most common example uh, that illustrates that concept of irre irreducible complexity is the human eye. There's nothing in between. Everything has to work together. Right. The way the eye is constructed, how it, how it works with, with the brain, you don't have anything transitional that functions as an eye. So how would it ever develop? How would it ever evolve? If you don't have anything that works, that serves any purpose, until you get to the fully completed eye. Mm -hmm. That's the problem that we have with the whole idea that things just happen, things just develop. Give enough time, anything can happen. Amen. The human experience also teaches us about God. Teaches us about the, the existence of God. You know, one of the things that people who are arguing against God come up and say, well, you know, if God, if there's an all-powerful God, how come there's so much evil in the world? Of course, we, you know, we can try to explain that, but they, they keep going back to this, well, he's an all-powerful God, he can stop it. He can, right. he can stop it. Who told you what is good? In order for there to be a anything that you can call evil, there has to be a standard that says what's good. Where does that standard come from? Supposedly your parents. Where did they get it? Yeah. It just keeps going. Yeah. Infinity. Moral morals have to be beyond the individual. Because if the standard is relative, anything goes. And if you, you talk to atheists and you get them to be honest with you, uh, some of them realize that this is where it goes. If anything, if, if, if morals are just whatever you think is good, then there's really nothing that's bad because it's just whatever you think. There's no problem then with what Hitler did because he was just acting according to what his moral code told him. Yeah. You don't, if you don't have any standard, then nothing is evil. Right. So how are you going to argue then how come there's evil in the world? Your, your philosophy doesn't allow for the concept of evil. You have to borrow that from God. Everybody talks about following your conscience. Oh, where do you get the conscience? And what if your conscience and my conscience disagree on what's right? What if, what if my conscience tells me it's okay for me to have what you have? Don't, does it make it right? No. See, that's the problem we have. Some people don't have much of a conscience. They've had their conscience seared. The Bible talks about that. 
if our conscience is, is nothing but animal instinct, uh, guess what? We're going to have a disagreement. We're going to have a problem. Just watch animals and see how that works out. If it comes from me, we already talked about that a little bit, I can change it then at will, whatever I want it to be. I had a, a friend in college, roommate, I actually really respected uh, this about him, but he, uh, we were going to do something, he said, no, I promised myself I wouldn't do that for, for such and such time, six months or something like that. And I thought that was so weird. I thought, well, what good is a promise to yourself? But he kept it, you know, so I, I give him credit. He gave him credit for keeping it. But uh, that's the problem. See, if, you, if it's a promise for, to yourself, you can let yourself out of it. Mm -hmm. If it comes from society, then what you have is majority jury. That's why we don't have a pure democracy in this country. That's why we have a republic. Because our founders realized that, as uh, somebody put it, I don't remember who this who it was that said this, but pure democracy is nothing more than two wolves and a sheep voting on what to have for lunch. Society can't determine what's right. God must be the one who determines what's right. In, in Titus 1.15, Paul talks about how the, the conscience of the, of the unbeliever is defiled. can't tell what's right and what's not right. Intelligence itself tells us that there is something beyond ourselves. We have, because we have a, an understanding of the universe, because we're able to understand it, suggests that there is something about it that's created that, that gives us the ability to understand it. If all of our thoughts are programmed, then truth is irrelevant. You know, if we're if we're just meat machines, and all we do is think what we're programmed to think by chemicals, then there's no sense talking about morality or truth or anything else, and there's no sense believing anything anybody says, even the atheists, because they're just programmed to think the way they're thinking. So you see, the argument falls apart. There has to be something more than mere programming. Why is it that we all, throughout history, even when we weren't seeking the God, we're always seeking some God? That's true. We will worship something. Mm -hmm. We either create our own deities to worship, or some people worship themselves, essentially. Right. Some people worship nature in some form. And in the modern day, the, the new religion is the religion of science. Why? Why is that? It's because we have to have an explanation. People say that 
well, it's just, you know, the reason why people had religion is that it just was a way to explain the natural world. Why should the natural world require explanation? Because God created us that way. He created us to seek something beyond ourselves because He wants us to seek Him. Civilization itself teaches us that Christian principles are, are the correct way to live. Why do you think that Western civilization, civilization leads? You know, I kind of get abused. I told you I'm a big Star Trek fan. But I kind of get abused when I really start to stop and think about some of these societies that they invent. Because I think about them. And, I, and, and come to the realization that if a society really existed like that, in fact, if you look around the world, you can find societies that nothing, nothing really new or, or all that imaginative really about what they've come up with, just taking what we've seen right here on this planet and, and uh, put funny faces on it and, and uh, <laughs> funny clothing and, and you know, change the story of it. All the things that you see on shows like that are, are nothing more than... Uh, taking what we've seen here on earth and putting a different uh, face on it to make a good story. But if you look at those societies that supposedly sprung up, oh, come on now. If you really had a society like that, um, I'll just take the, the, the Klingons for an example, if you know, the, you know who they are. They're very war, warlike people that uh, always fight. No technologically successful society would ever survive that way. You've got to be able to work together. You've got to be able to uh, have pursuit of knowledge and, and uh, cooperation and working together. Those societies don't even work. The kind of society that works is a society that is based on Christian principles. And that's why the Western civilization has led the advance into the world that we live in today. Our experience shows us these things. And the Bible is being through. We have these historical accounts throughout history of people. Uh, and we have, of course, the Bible that we all believe to be the truth. But there's something else. I, and I wish I had... I'm going to give you some examples or some places to start looking here uh, as we wrap up. Uh, some resources... Uh, but I didn't add anything specifically about this. But do some digging and you'll find out that every day now we are pulling things out of the ground, archaeological studies that prove the Bible was telling the truth. Amen. What do we do with all of this? I hope that, that you're encouraged just to know. If you've never really given it any thought, if you've never really... Uh, spend any time uh, considering it. I hope that you just be encouraged that you don't have to check your brain at the door of the church. God put His creation here for you to learn and to understand and see Him everywhere in it. There is ample evidence of who God is. Your faith has a foundation. You can and should apply your mind to understanding it. That way we can be ready. 
We can be ready to protect our young people as they move into these uh, places where their faith is attacked. We can have answers to their questions and people who question us who are generally uh, wanting to know. We always, though, have to start with love. Amen. The Holy Spirit uh, is the one who draws people. And we do not have the ability within ourselves to change hearts. Another thing that Frank Turk says is he, he will ask some of these uh, atheists that, that approach him, is there anything, what if I can prove to you that Christianity is true? Would you become a Christian? And some of them will say no. They'll say, well, okay, fine, let's go have a pizza. No point wasting their time. It takes the Holy Spirit to take uh, to change our heart. Right. But that doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't be ready uh, to provide anything that uh, that will help in the process of saving a life. I meant to put these on the screen and I just plain forgot. But I'm going to just list out some places that you can go to start if you're interested in following up and seeing or maybe getting these things for people that you know uh, that, that might be struggling or, or something you might want your kids to have. Of course, one of the oldest, most well-known books on the subject is Josh McDowell's book, which I understand has recently, recently been updated, uh, called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, another couple of books that are really good are by Lee, Lee Strobel. He wrote one called The Case for Christ. He wrote another one called The Case for a Creator. Those are great resources. Another one I've read fairly recently is by uh, a man named Jay Warner Wallace. He used to be on a TV show, and I forget the name of the TV show. Uh, but he approaches the, the story of Christianity as a, as a cold case detective. And he has some very interesting insights that are, are helpful. And then, of course, there's the book I mentioned earlier, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, by Norman Geisler and Frank Turner. That's an excellent book. And he, he, uh, Frank Turner wrote another one called Stealing from God, and that goes over the ways that atheists have to borrow from God to even make their arguments work. That's an excellent resource. I also read another one, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the guy's name and wrote it, but I think it's funny. It was called the, the Atheist Who Didn't Exist. And it just basically lays out some of the preposterousness of some of the, the arguments. A couple of online resources, if you want to go and check out online. Uh, Frank, Frank's site is crossexamine.org. Uh, there's another one called reasonablefaith.org, which is written by another, uh, uh, or headed up by another prominent uh, apologist. And then there is, if you're interested particularly, this is a, a, an old earth site, and if you're interested in understanding where they're coming from on that, there's some really great stuff there. It's called, it's at reasons.org. I hope that that encourages you and gives you some... I feel like it's important for us to at least be able uh, to help our, our young people when they come across these challenges. 
So I wanted to share that with you today. Plus, I just love this stuff. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for providing us. You did not leave us uh, hanging. You did not leave us uh, with no uh, evidence or, or no way to understand who you are. You put it all around us. I just pray that you will help us as we go out from here. Ultimately, we believe in you because of what you did in our hearts. And what you have shown to us personally. Uh, most of us didn't have to be convinced by proofs. And in the end, nobody's truly going to be convinced by proofs. They've got to be convinced by your Holy Spirit. Uh, but I pray that, uh, that this will strengthen us and help us as we as we go and be your your instruments to bring others to the knowledge of you in Jesus name amen amen, amen.